Take your time, take your time, Frank. Good morning. We're, uh, good morning. Hey, thank you for that. We're uh, really pleased that you've decided to join us today uh, on this Lord's Day. Oh, he's coming back. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, I know that it's fall break, and so I look out and I see many holes uh, in the crowd today. Many, many people are traveling. Fall break has become a really popular time to take vacations and trips, and so we have many of our number on the road, but we also have many visitors here with us this morning, and you are our honored guest. We are very happy for your presence here today, and we should just all feel blessed uh, that God has given us another day, that we have breath in our lungs in order to praise Him, that He's blessed us with the ability to come together uh, and to enjoy fellowship and to worship His name. I was told that every kid in Sunday school was given a kazoo this morning. And so maybe we should start by having all of the children solemnly promise to not blow their kazoos while Mr. Joseph is preaching today. But I'll just trust that you will not. Uh, and if you do, then, you know, I'll just keep on preaching and I'll just treat it like as an amen or something. Uh, let me remind you of several big events. I'm going to do this very quickly because Grady mentioned them. If you are a 6th through 12th grader, you have a youth retreat coming up on October 19th through the 21st at Camp Naiati. And I think you received a text message from Alex about that today. And you have a sign-up list on the board. Please put your name on that and join the youth group at their retreat. Uh, October 21st, Sunday night, is our unity service. We need everybody's help. We need you to bring uh, finger foods that night. We look to have a packed house as we have the past couple years. That's always such an encouraging gathering. That's at 5 o'clock that Sunday night. So uh, back an hour from when we normally meet. One more thing. Trunk or treat. Wednesday night, October 31st, 6 o'clock. All hands on deck. We need help with food. We need help in the kitchen. We need people to decorate their trunks. We need everybody to welcome all of our guests and to make them feel warmly welcome. So, a big month for our church family. And uh, please be involved in helping us do all of these things. If you, I'm looking forward to studying with you this morning. If you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it. Have it handy. I think that will help you as we go through our sermon time today. If you've ever read Hebrews, if you've read the New Testament book of Hebrews, then you know that the author is fixated on establishing Jesus as a priest. A priest. In chapter 2, verses 17 and 18, I'll run through these pretty quick. Jesus is called a merciful and faithful high priest. In chapter 3, verse 1, Jesus is the apostle and high priest of our confession. There's the word again. In chapter 4, verse 14, we begin a lengthy section about Jesus as the great high priest who has passed through the heavens, yet who can fully sympathize with our weaknesses. And according to chapter 7, verse 24 of Hebrews, Jesus holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. So I want to know, why is it so important that the Hebrews writer in the New Testament why is it important for him to identify Jesus as a priest? 
to connect Jesus with the priesthood of the Old Testament. What is significant about those Old Testament priests that the Hebrews writer wants to draw a direct line from them to Jesus Christ who has come? This is another installment in our series that we're calling More About Jesus. Who He really is and why it matters. And there are many ways to approach Jesus Christ and His identity, but here's what we're doing in this series. We are seeking to understand how Jesus is the fulfillment of all kinds of concepts uh, and ideas and figures from the Old Testament. Uh, we started with the, uh, how Jesus is the offspring of Abraham. God promised Abraham all the way back in Genesis chapter 12 that through his offspring, all the families of the earth would be blessed. And when Jesus comes along, the New Testament establishes that he is that true offspring. So he's the fulfillment of the promise. And followers of Jesus, you and I, are children of Abraham through him. We are the blessed ones and the ones through whom God wants to bless the world. That's what we talked about several weeks ago in the first sermon in this series, The Offspring of Abraham. Last week we talked about how Jesus is the new and better temple of God. That He manifests the presence of God in a complete way, unlike the Old Testament temple, which has since been destroyed And today, in the midst of this series, we are starting a trilogy. Everybody loves a trilogy, right? We'll have this trilogy, and then we'll have two more lessons on the other side of it to wrap up our series. But this is the trilogy. Jesus, you've probably heard this language before. It has been long recognized in Christianity that Jesus fulfills three important roles, three important offices that have roots in the Old Testament. Here they are. Jesus is prophet, priest, priest and king. Have you heard it? Nod your head this way. Or this means no, or this means I'm not voting, as Lonnie Jones says. Hopefully we don't have any in the, in the latter camp. Jesus is prophet, priest, and king. And we're going to be digging into what that means over the next three weeks, starting today. But today we're going to start with that middle word, priest. Let's talk a little bit about priests In the Old Testament, I'm talking about those who served in the Mosaic Covenant according to the law of Moses. Here's just some interesting facts. They wore elaborate clothing that was prescribed by God. You can read about that in Exodus 28. They were anointed with oil. And in that ceremony, they were set apart for service. Exodus chapter 40, verse 13. They made all kinds of sacrifices and offerings to God for the people. You can read about all those different types of offerings in Leviticus chapters 1 through 8. Uh, They burned incense on a special altar before God. Exodus chapter 30. And they also... There was some military duty involved in their job. They served as armed guards at the holy places, Exodus chapter 32. And we could go on and on with some other interesting tidbits about the priests and their service. But I want to know this. Why were there priests in the first place? What was the function of the priesthood in the Old Testament? 
Why is this a God-ordained position under the law of Moses? Well, Moses himself, his example answers that question, I think, and sort of sets the stage for the priests. God's people have been rescued out of Egyptian slavery. Let me set the scene for you. By the leadership of Moses, but through the power of God, certainly. Moses is God's man. God has parted the Red Sea. He has allowed His people to graciously cross over on dry land, but He has closed the waters over their enemies. He has won a great victory on their behalf. And they have now arrived at Mount Sinai for the purpose of entering into a covenant relationship with God and receiving the law. And Exodus chapters 19 and 20 makes clear that God's holy presence has descended upon the mountain in both a magnificent and terrifying way. And when you read these verses, you can begin to imagine what it would be like to be there. To be among the number of the Israelites who stood before that mountain as God's presence descended in a way that was both awe-inspiring and in a way that would make you shudder as well. Sinai, the mountain is cloaked in smoke and fire and darkness, and there's thunder and lightning and the sound of trumpets. This is chapter 19, verses 16 and 18. Can you, can you envision the scene? The people of Israel are not allowed to get too close. God says, don't touch the mountain. If you touch the mountain, you'll die. Because God is so holy. But Moses is given permission by God to go up on the mountain. To be in God's presence. So that he can receive the law and then deliver it to the people. Exodus chapter 20 verse 21 sums it up well. The people stood far off at a distance while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. And I believe this account illustrates a truth that explains the need for the priesthood, the importance of priests. And here is that truth. Sinful people need someone to approach a holy God on their behalf. Sinful people need someone to approach a holy God on their behalf. The Israelites, as a sinful people, needed that. We, as a sinful people, need that today. That is, I think I've got that up on the screen, that truth. That is Moses' role here. He is serving in that position. He is approaching God on behalf of the people. They stand far off, but he can go up and then he comes back down. And that becomes the priest's role in the Old Testament. And it was actually the men of Moses' tribe, the tribe of Levi, who became priests. And it was his brother Aaron's family, the men in that family, his descendants, who became the high priests. And so the primary job of the priests was to mediate a relationship between God and and his people to be the go-between the the intercessor to represent God to the people and the people before God and the primary quality that they needed that the priests needed was holiness 
was moral purity. And Leviticus chapter 21 spells that out. It says, this is a must. This is a requirement for someone to serve in this very special role, the role of priest. Because a holy God cannot be in sin's presence. That's why we as a sinful people need someone to go before us on our behalf to God. We need a mediator. We need someone to intercede for us. Because God is so holy and so perfect, He cannot be tainted by the presence of sin. And we are sinners and therefore we cannot go into the presence of a holy God. So you see we have a problem on our hands. And they had a problem. And they needed somebody to bridge the gap. To approach God on their behalf. Because God is so holy and perfect. He cannot be tainted by our sin. And that's what the priests were all about. Now, you already know the problem. The problem with this whole arrangement is that even the most morally upright person lacked perfection. Moral perfection. Moses did. Oh, Moses was an upright man. He was a man of God. He was God's man. He led the people out of Egyptian bondage. Guided them through the wilderness. But you may remember that because of one particular sin, Moses was forbidden from entering into the promised land with the Israelites. He was a good godly man for sure, but he was not perfect. And so therefore he was an imperfect mediator between the people and God. The priests weren't perfect either. The priests lacked perfection. They had to atone for their own sins according to Leviticus 16.11 before they could make atonement for the people. They had to take care of their own flaws and transgressions before they could offer sacrifices on behalf of the people's sins. And so this was always an inadequate system because according to the Scriptures, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. And so this was never going to work. Indefinitely. It worked temporarily. It was never a good long-term arrangement. Enter the writer of Hebrews, who basically says in Hebrews, I hope you have your Bible handy, we're about to get into the Hebrews text. He basically says, you need a mediator? You need somebody to bridge the gap? Have I got the one for you, his name, Jesus Christ. The priests who came before, according to the Hebrews writer, they were mere copies. They were shadows of what was to come in Christ. That's Hebrews 8, 5. Now look with me in Hebrews chapter 7. Let's look at verse 26. Verse 26. Our text, it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest Holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. Do you hear the relief in this passage from the Hebrews writer? Finally, we've made it. Finally, we have a priest, a high priest, who is perfect, who is spotless, who can be the perfect mediator between people, sinful people, and a holy God. Jesus can do it better than those Old Testament priests. All of them combined could do it. Jesus is the man. 
because he's not just a man. He's also God in the flesh. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 28, the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests. There we go. The Hebrews writer admits the high priests were not perfect. They had sins and weaknesses. But the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son, capital S, the son of God, who has been made perfect forever. Those Old Testament priests, most of them did as good as they could. They could go into the holy of holies where the people couldn't go in the temple in order to represent the people before God, in order to make sacrifices to atone for their sins. But they've got nothing on our high priest. The great high priest, Jesus Christ Himself. They could go into the holy of holies. Jesus has entered into heaven. Into the very presence of God. Yea, He has been seated at the right hand of His majesty. Exalted, highly exalted as we sang about. On high. He is so much better than the priests who came before. He is a vast, infinite improvement on what they could do and be. He is truly the great high priest. And it's also worth mentioning that he's a priest who also fully understands our humanity. And the Hebrews writer makes this clear. Chapter 4, verse 15. We do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus gets us. He's been where we are. He knows about all of the trials and temptations that we experience in this life. And yet he provides inspiration because he was never tripped up by any of those things. He faced them as we do, but without sin. And so earlier in chapter 2, verse 18, the Hebrews writer says, I don't have this up here, but it's important. He suffered when tempted and therefore is able to help those who are being tempted. Because he himself suffered and experienced temptation. He gets it. He understands. But he didn't fall prey to it, and therefore He can help us when we are being tempted. So He's the perfect high priest in that He's morally perfect as the Son of God. He is perfectly God, and yet He's also perfectly man. And so He can bridge the gap better than anyone because He's 100% divine and 100% human. He knows. He understands what we go through. And because He is our High Priest, verse 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. That verse, we often think of it in terms of prayer. It should be applied to prayer. But this idea is much bigger than simply the idea of prayer. This is about access to God. Access to God that humanity was not able to experience before Jesus. Because of Jesus, we can go straight into, straight into the throne room of God. Kneel before Him and lay our concerns at His feet. We couldn't do that before Jesus. 
came along. And we can only do it now because of Jesus. We don't have to go, go to God with our knees knocking, with our hearts thumping. What does the Hebrews writer say? Oh, certainly God must be revered and respected. But the Hebrews writer says, we, not because of anything that we have done, not because we deserve it by our own meritorious works, but with confidence we can come near to the throne of grace because of Jesus. Because Jesus has made a way where there seemed to be no way. Jesus, through His priesthood, through mediating a relationship between us and God, has paved the way for us to have access to God. And we can come before God in order to receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need, and we get help when we're tempted. Boy, have we got it good in Christ. Have we got it good in Christ? And so now, as I read these passages from Hebrews, now I understand why it's so important for the Hebrews writer to connect Jesus with the priesthood, to establish Jesus as the great high priest, the one who perfectly mediates a relationship between humanity, sinful humanity, and a holy God. But there's more to this priest imagery that we ought to know. In a sense, all the people of Israel were priests. Yes, there was a certain classification of priest in order to sustain the holiness of God, but God Himself in Exodus 19.6, when all the people are gathered at Sinai, He says, you to all the people, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests. So in a sense, all the people were priests. What does that mean? Well, they were to represent God before the other nations. And they were to help build a bridge between those nations, between outsiders and God. You're supposed to bridge the gap. You're supposed to mediate a relationship. Intercede on their behalf. Be the go-between. Between God and the people. Connect outsiders with God. Bring them into the fold. And in our age, Christians have this responsibility. What does Peter say? 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. You are a what? Royal priesthood. And so we have this responsibility. You are priests. Now, in the, in the New Testament church, we don't have the office of priest. That's not a role that is prescribed in the New Testament. And the reason that we don't have priests is because we don't need priests. You don't need someone, a human representative between you and God. You don't have to confess your sins to someone, a priest, so that he can in turn confess those sins to God. As we've already established, you have access to God directly through Jesus. But in a sense, we are all priests. And here are the questions that that should leave us with. If I'm a priest, then... What about this? Can others see God in me? Am I, as a good priest should, representing the goodness and the graciousness and the faithfulness of God to the people around me? When they look at me, when they see my life displayed before them, 
when they witness my actions, when they hear my words, do they witness God? We are to mediate the presence of God for people around us. And so, can others see God in you? Do they see God in you? This is an oft-repeated line, but, 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 it's, but it's good. It, it's important. It, it, it reminds us of a vital truth. You may be the only Bible that some people ever read. You may be the only one who ever represents the faithfulness of God to your neighbors. So can they see God in you? Secondly, are others finding God through you? Not just can they see God, but are you actively seeking to bridge the gap between sinful humanity and a holy God? You are a priest. You're a priest. Turn to the person on your left and right and say, you're a priest. You're a priest. As a priest, others should be able to see God in you and you should be seeking to connect others with God and helping them find God through you. Are we a priesthood of believers? That's what the New Testament calls us. That's what we ought to be aiming to be. Now there's one more way that Jesus is a new and better priest. One more way that he is the great high priest. And this is actually the most important way. According to Hebrews chapter 7, verse 27, the verse that we skipped over earlier. The writer says he has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily. We talked about the continual over and over sacrificing that the, that the Old Testament priests had to be involved in in order to atone for sins. He has no need of that. First for his own sins and then for those of the people. Since. He did this once for all when he offered up himself. Unlike the sin-tainted, perpetual, numerous sacrifices of the Old Testament priests, the sinless Jesus made one sinless sacrifice for all time, for all people, and it was him. It was himself. Paul says there is one God, there is one mediator, between God and men. One, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. Jesus gave his all for you. God made a way out of seemingly no way in order for you to have access to him, for you to share a relationship with him, for sinful you to be in communion with a holy God Jesus made that possible. And so the question is, have you surrendered your life to Him? Have you bowed at His feet and said, I love you, Jesus. I am so thankful for your sacrifice. I want to devote myself to you. I want to follow you all the days of your life. I want to be saved. I want to receive life. You can do that today. You can come and repent of your sins. You can confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, you can be baptized so that those sins can be washed away. You will come up out of those waters a new person and you will leave this place rejoicing because life is yours, eternal life, and we will rejoice with you. If you're struggling with sin 
or discouragement or disappointment, and you just need the prayers of your brothers and sisters, this church family, we invite you to come also right now as we stand and sing.